podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Hey everybody, welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation. As you all know, it's the best Star Trek podcast that's ever been made in the history of Star Trek podcasts. And we like to talk about D-Space Nine right now. Anyway, I'm Matt. I'm Andy. I've seen how well you treat him. <sighs> so true. Right? I treat him like pure shape-shifting garbage. <laughs> we do have a similar relationship to Odo and his and his scientist father. <laughs> Uh, this episode was so weird. It's very weird. I don't in a, in, a, in a couple of in a, in a in like some real like detrimental to the f- enjoyment of the episode ways. Mm. Yeah, I know. I Stay wish, tuned. Keep I wish we had a platform more. to discuss it. <laughs> yeah, we do. Good news. <laughs> in three hours, they'll know everything. Uh so to poll? Sure. If it's important to you to know the thoughts of the crew, you gotta take it to poll. If a marshmallow tiff makes you wonder what if, you gotta take it to poll. Take a tip What is this to poll for? Is this in reference to the previous episode? That's Which correct, was, Matthew. Uh, Rivals. Yeah, that one. Uh, episode uh, Jack 11, Skellington moves across this, the hall from uh, Quark and uh, shenanigans ensue. Classic. Um, I just wish they had made Jack Skellington a, a recurring character. I think he would have brought a lot to DS9. I agree. Um, Matt and I gave Rivals a collective 4.5. Matt gave it a 5. I gave it a 4. Uh... The uh, the IMDb over there, they gave it a six point four, slightly higher. Uh, Patreon, uh, our crew uh, in the lofty in the lofty lounges, uh, gave it a four point eight, which is pretty much mm. on uh, on, on target with us. And twenty four percent gave it a four. Um, and then uh, tr- our, our statistician Tristan Luther Robbins says. Uh, interestingly, DS9 poll averages have been hovering closer to Matt and Andy's combined scores. The last four polls have been within 0.75, plus or minus, mm. of Matt and Andy's combined score, leading one to assume whether Matt and Andy's ratings are bearing influence on the way Patreons are voting. For example, oh, since DS9 to polls have been run, the majority uh, Patreon rating often lands on or close to Matt and Andy's joint score within 1.0. The only exception has been rules of exposition, acquisition where the joint score was 2.0 and the majority Patreon score, 25%, was a 7.0. Hmm. I have a feeling in the new Trek episodes, I bet you they differ wildly. Even just based on anecdotal responses to what we say. Um, but uh, that is interesting. And is it possible 
uh, Tristan, that the reason they're the same is because everything we say and think and rate is just that accurate. Empirically. I think it's clear from what he wrote that he doesn't think that's the case. <laughs> there was a suggestion, which I may, I may run a poll on, that was, should we put up the poll before we... Uh, we run the uh, we run the ep- our our episode on it, but I kind of feel like it's up to the it's up to the crew member whether they want to be influenced by us or not. It's not it's not trying to get a you know a clear like or is it? I don't know. You tell me. Like it's not trying to get an you're clear the, uninfluenced the, by us. You're the father of the Tipol. <laughs> the father of Tipol. Oh, <laughs> put it on my list of nicknames. <laughs> Not as cool as Mother of Dragons, but it's something. Um. Anyway, uh, maybe mm-hmm. I wanted to pull just because I love to ask questions. That's it for the it's to pull portion. True. All right. So now, in regards to the episode that uh, we're going to talk about today, it's called the alternate. Uh, let's see what let's see what we have to say here. Andy, would you have them watch this episode? Feels like it's a lot of discussion of uh, Odo. So, oh, wow, I really. Wow. I really was. <laughs> had no consciousness of the time time restriction at all. That I was off in my own world. <laughs> you know, the thing about. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, hey, when you think about Odo as a, as a character. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think you do. A, you should watch this one. Okay. Matt, would you have them watch this episode? I don't know. It's okay. Like, it's like... I, <laughs> Matt, no. The horns. It's hard to say. <laughs> Matt, the horns played. It's hard to say. It is hard to say. I agree with you. I think this that's is hard. What... This is hard to say. <laughs> nice. Was that just on the fly? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um. Well, I guess we'll find out in a slow conversation it's on gonna it. It's gonna be so good. It's gonna be so great when we figure it out. Oh man, are we gonna find? Are we ever gonna find out? We're probably gonna still be waffly at the end. Probably. Uh. <clears throat> so that's the alternate. Everything's great over there. What do we got to do right now? We're going to head to the Admirals Club. That's right. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, and join the Admirals Club. I don't even know who this one's from. Um, Matt, how do they, uh, they, uh, you know, if they they wanted to get into Mm -hmm. the Admirals Club, how, how would they get in? pretty easy you just leave a five-star review of the podcast literally anywhere and alert us to that and you're in um if you're lucky andy might read yours on the show our uh our uh, crew member uh, jenny who only wanted to be identified that way um posted a uh, one of those like flyers <laughs> that you might put on a on a, on a telephone pole uh, and she did and uh, <laughs> that's funny. And uh, she sent in a picture. It'll soon be on the IG. There's a lot of activity over at the Instagram. 
mm-hmm. um, and at the TikTok for that matter. Um, every day there's new posts getting us closer to being up to date uh, with the videos and your art. So feel free to send it in um, to uh, sdtncart at gmail.com. Um, let me see now. Where here it is. So it's okay. So it's from Brian Yee, this one. And uh here it is. Uh five stars. Uh conversations worthy of song. Uh Wharf, semicolon. Ah, uh, Star Trek, the next conversation. A battle of wits. I don't know if this is supposed to be a wharf quote. A battle of wits and a journey through the stars. Matt Myra, a true Oyedes. Matt Myra, a true warrior with a heart full of honor, and Andrew Secunda, a skeptic yet worthy adversary, traverse the cosmos all thing of all things Star Trek tales. Their discourse as engaging as a Klingon duel under the moons of Kronos. Kronos? Mm-hmm. 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 Um, their loyalty to the essence of the saga admirable. I find their camaraderie reminiscent of the bonds forged on the USS Enterprise, a commendation to their endeavor. This podcast is a tribute worthy of a saga that transcends the stars. A worthy listen for any true warrior. Five out of five. I mean, it's a lot of effort you put into reading that and uh, a lot of effort he put into writing that. And what do you, what do you rate it? How many Andes? Way to go, everybody. <laughs> How many Andes do you give that whole performance? How many Andes does this Review. Uh, probably give it five Andes out of ten. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. Middle so of the road. Each of the each of the Andes was for effort. Yeah, I certainly give my my Klingon voice a five. Um. MGFCHH uh, sent in a review. The only Star Trek podcast. I sampled mm. several, and this was the one that stuck. I laugh until I cry. Andy and Matt's arguments are priceless. I'm constantly making comments or asking questions in my head to hear Andy speak them aloud seconds later. <laughs> if you're uh, looking for a podcast that you can listen to for the rest of your life, look no further. I'm never going to catch up. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Also, long days and pleasant nights. Where's my Dark Tower crossover, peeps? Secunda! Then we got one from Aaron, 1977, who simply mm-hmm. says, I like it. It's better than a Gorn wedding cake. Um, and lastly, P. Kronz says, watch two men switch roles. My wife and I discovered TNC a year ago and got all caught up. It's been fun watching Andy turn from complete podcast novice to a Q pro guy and watch Matt turn into an overworked, cynical dad. I'm an admiral. <laughs> you are an admiral, Pete Grons. You made it. That's Thank it for you. the Admirals Club. And that was the Admirals Club. Ah, uh, yes, it's the President's Circle. What's happening here? Well, it's our Patreon. If you want more hours of us, have we got some hours for you. 
Head over to patreon.com forward slash Star Trek TNC. Support the show. Uh, and just be all overall a very good person. I appreciate that. Currently my only job. I know the strike's over. Anyone who joined during the writer strike special, the strike is over. You may cancel. How dare you, though? I'm still not working. Anyway, uh, this feels like President Circle is our... <laughs> the ups and downs. The, uh... President Circle is our top tier. Uh, that's where you're going to get your Voyager, your Enterprise, your... Jeez uh, Louise, what else is in there? All the Marvel movies up through until Black Widow. Uh, Picard... Season one, two, three sitting there. I guess season two and three are sitting there. Uh, Strange New World, season one and two. Discovery. I mean, it's just a smorgasbord of schmirgs. It's so true, Matt. Um, you're also helping to uh, to keep the Adidas Nines running on the uh, the main pod, um, which you're listening to now. Uh, every episode, we give a Christopher Pike Medal of Valor to uh, one or more standout crew members in our, inside our Patreon. If you think you figured out the qualifications of that comment, uh, keep shifting. We'll never know for sure. It's just up to Andy. And uh, this month, uh, my whim, my whim pointed the uh, medals toward Lieutenant Commander Molay, Historical Archives Division, longtime supporter, who said, uh, just tried a random phone autocomplete in the TNC spirit, typed in, and I'm, and then pressed suggested words. Here's what I got. Uh, here's what I got. And I'm not going to lie, I'm really tired, and I'm just going to lay down. <laughs> um, That's appropriate. Yeah, totally. Um... And uh, that, I believe, is it. Hang on. Actually, I'm going to give one also to Feline Supplement. What? And we just, like, ambushed the dog on me. Bo is now in here. And uh, I don't know what he said. Look at Bo looking around, sniffing, trying to figure out what's going on. Want to be part of the podcast? It's just sales wagon level of depression. Be how dirty it is in the office. <laughs> what do you think, Bo? Are we at level eight? His tail is wagging. He's happy. <laughs> uh, I really just liked his his voice being his name being said. Feline Supplement right. seventeen oh one says. After Hang on, the, we didn't open the. I know. I'm giving messages. two more. I'm giving two more. Uh, uh, oh, thank God. Okay, good. Sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. After the extremely professionally edited abomination, uh, as you as you some of you may know, I think it's it, yeah. I put it up free in the Patreon if you want to go take a look. Um, uh, someone did an edit of one of our recent episodes with all of the digressions, pauses. And uh, mistakes removed, and it was like an hour shorter. <laughs> um, after the extremely professionally edited abomination, we get this behemoth. Don't ever change, boys. Um, <laughs> and then Denise from New York uh, proposed, as as others did in the Patreon. Forgive me if someone already said this, but can someone make an edit where it's everything but Star Trek related talk? Just silence oh and ums and Dunkin' Donuts stories and Matt's phone ringing, etc. 
Um, I'd be interested in hearing either. Uh, that's it for the Medals of Valor. Medal of Valors. Right. Sorry. Thank you very much. Here we go. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. So this is in regards to rivals uh, or just off topic hails. Some other sounds. Did you hit DS9 intercom sound? Did I hit something on the on the panel? Tristan Luth Robbins says, "Yes, it's the beginning of a tempestuous bromance. An episode so equally dumb on the A B plot that I absolutely adore it." Uh, happy face emoji with hearts. Um, a reasonable stance. I mean. It wasn't a good episode, but it was a fun one. I guess it was fun. I don't remember what I marked it. Um, and here's Mark T. Uh, I don't care about stakes in an episode of Star Trek. This podcast often criticizes an episode where there isn't enough, quote, danger faced by the characters. I'm perfectly happy just seeing a slice of life in the world of Star Trek. Perhaps that is why I always love an episode that involves another Federation starship. I love me some Starfleet world building. Am I the only one like this? I'm not a writer, so maybe that's why I don't care about Kira facing some schmuck bait peril that we all know will turn out fine. That said, this episode fucking sucked and nothing happened. Look, uh, Starfleet Protocol is my jam. I love it. I love day-to-day life on a starship. It's my favorite thing. It's the best thing about Star Trek, as far as I'm concerned. I like to know how things work on a starship, why they work, what everybody's doing, and who does their laundry. I like to know all of those things. But when you're trying to present a dramatic half-hour tale or 44-minute tale, and you have some stakes... But they're not good stakes. It's like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. I think the essential problem is that I don't know that they succeeded on the level that it felt like they were going for. I feel like they were going for, oh, boy, all the all the crazy things that are going to happen when these two, you know, when Jack Skellington and Quark go up against each other. Oh, boy. And it was just kind of like, yeah, I see a series of things happening. I don't know that this is, this is like so whimsical or fun. It's sort of, some of it's mm-hmm. sort of entertaining. And I think that's the problem. It's like, you, you got to go hard for something. Even if it's just mundaneness and people are like, you know, just sort of talking about how nothing's happening. Like, I'll watch that. But they weren't really going for that either. Anyway, Command Master Chief Robert Garrison, our old friend, says... Uh, asks historians is this indeed the longest hail bag that's an interesting question then Tristan Luth Robbins checks spreadsheet for DS9 pods yes and this one came in 20 minutes shorter than all good things part parts one and two and the strange new world season two finale hegemony uh, probably pronouncing that wrong again uh, hail bag clocked in at two hours I think the Picard season three finale was longer, but I don't have the actual stat against that pod app. There you go. This is, of course, not including the TNG ones. I don't remember last week, last episode's hail bag being particularly long. I don't either, but I guess it must have been. It's very interesting. It must have been very long. 
Actually, I can That's tell you. That's the second person to comment on it. I, can, I think I can tell you, unless it's a different one that he's talking about, um, because it's listed on the on the podcast. Oh, God, it's really taken a long time to For all up. the people who... Episode know. discussion began around 100... Uh, w- sorry, not 100. One hour 26. So I guess it was Yeah, long. I guess once you're getting once you're getting up over an hour, right? You know, yeah. I think a few minutes can separate the longest from the next longest. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think once you're into that hour and some teen minute range. If you're listening nice. to these episodes in order, you would remember better. Uh, but my memory is that maybe we had both a huge hail bag and a lot of digressions and long side conversations. I don't know if the... I mean, whatever it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was great. I'm not. I, yeah, that's not in debate. It was I don't definitely see what the problem is indicative of this, the finest Star Trek podcast. Uh, Nick mm, C, not I finest, no, <laughs> just best. Yeah, <laughs> for snickety about your descriptive terms. No, uh, I mean, it's like you know. <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's fair. It's not. It's you're saying it's not qualitatively. Right. The finest. You're just saying, <laughs> cumulatively, it is the best. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is. That's the fairest thing you've said. You know, um, it's like you have a you have a steak. Uh, maybe you have one that Thomas Keller made. Maybe you have one somebody else made. But it's a better cut of meat that somebody else made. So right. And yeah. like some people like like their steaks a little more singed, and we're yeah. serving it up that way. But that's not just, doesn't make it we're the just, best. We're making the best. Steak. We're making the best steaks. <laughs> not the finest. They're not the finest. You know, they're not coming out. Nobody's coming out with a crumb scoop between courses. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> no, we are we are a crumbs on the table for all courses. Uh, establishment that is for damn well, sure <laughs> you'll get one tablecloth and you'll like it no one's changing it <laughs> we're not I, I have a feeling it's it's one of those sort of nylon-y or you know those those tablecloths that just stay on the table i don't think they ever just change stapled to the bottom of the table <laughs> exactly yeah Nick C says, regarding TV series that successfully transitioned into films, I put forth Mission Impossible. It's meant to be a continuation of the series, not a reboot, as Peter hmm. Graves was offered the chance to reprise his role, but refused because of the handling of his character and Ethan Hunt's backstory. Yeah, they made him a bad guy. Like, fuck that. What do you mean? Phelps. They made Phelps a bad guy. Oh, yeah. Did it was Wait, was... Uh, John Voight John wasn't... Boyd. He wasn't Phelps, was he? Yes. Oh wow! Wow. I Spoilers even, for Mission Impossible One. I didn't even process that. Oh wow. Yeah, I would be pissed off. You know yeah. what? Good for Peter Graves. Fucking get in the. He could get in the friggin' action. Fucking. Uh, he's just I mean, been he's looking, acting. He's like, no, no. This is not what my character would be doing. This get is some cash. And he's Get like, out of no. here, De Palma. Go fuck yourself. I'm really impressed with Peter Graves. Good for him. Um, also, seems like they could have incorporated that character, but had him not, you know, turn out the way he does in the show. Anyway, uh, uh, handling of uh, Ethan Hunt's backstory and that he was a protege of Martin Lando's character, carrying forward the mask gimmick. Um, Tom Bondurant says the Batman '66 show also did a movie. 
Uh, I think it paid for the Bat Boat and Batcopter. And Batman, the animated series, did a Mask of the Phantasm movie. Both used the TV staffs, but both were one-offs. That's mm-hmm. certainly true. I don't know if it captures the spirit of what I was sort of asking. Uh, it does capture it, it. It it technically answers the question, so I cannot fault you. Um, David Oni Rall says, uh, that was so meta. My luck was terrible when I decided to watch this episode, but when it ended, I was lucky. Um, <laughs> Lieutenant Rall also says uh, at 109 in the episode, the way the actor says, my father was a stellar cartographer makes me think she has no idea about the Latin meaning of stellar. She hits the word as though her character believes her father was an awesome cartographer. <laughs> um, that's funny. That's funny. That's a choice. I didn't pick up on that. That's very funny. Uh, that's at 109 if you want to hear it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you, you feel so inclined oh, to take it Of our podcast. Not be easier to pull up the episode. Okay, fair enough. Uh, also, Matt, uh, was Chris Sarandon added to be a handsome human or an alluring Elalorian? I'll show myself out. No, no, you stay right here. That's the kind of comedy we like. Lieutenant Thomas Peering says, anyone else listening to the re-release of James Bonding now expecting to hear an, and I'm, after Matt, in, Matt the Matts introduce themselves? <laughs> Who goes first in James Bonding? It varies. No actual recollection. Oh. <laughs> that sounds that sounds on target. Um, at least one thing's the same, which is you. Cassandra McIntosh says, uh, really bummed the guys didn't get this episode. It's clearly taking the opportunity to explore the infinite improbability drive from Douglas Adams's Hitchhiker <laughs> trilogy and its effect on a space station. The little... Uh, IID created small improbabilities that people interpreted as winning or loses, losing, but over time they balanced out. Then Prince Humperdinck created a whole bunch of much bigger IIDs, which generated events that were far more improbable, threatening the situation, the station. And yes, I know there's not an explicit connection between uh, Hitchhiker's Guide and uh, the Princess Bride, but they share a lot of DNA. And both had a huge impact on me in the very impressionable impressionable eighties. Um, laughing emoji with hand over the face and Vulcan salute. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I think love your description of emojis. So now, now I'm obligated. I've fallen, I've fallen into it through my own stupidity and now I'm obligated. And I don't, I, I don't know if you've been there a while, Cassandra McIntosh, but your name seems uh, new. So if it is, welcome. Maybe she's been here the whole time and is just now participating. It's possible. Well, welcome to the rodeo, the, 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 the hailbag rodeo. Welcome to the discussion. Rudicio, stauted but not steamed, says, mm-hmm. I like the DS, uh, DS9 app, but I got to say, President Circle, 40 minutes into the podcast, that's a sign of a quality TNC episode right there. Um, so I guess we started the President Circle 40 minutes in. So there must have been a lot of chit chat. <laughs> Was that the one with my Dreyfus story, possibly? Um, yes. There you go. And that was part of it. 
Uh, I wonder at what point we screened out the people who hate our digressions and length of hell bag. Well, this is me saying this. Uh, so I was wondering, um, I made myself a note, and then I read it as it was a hell. Uh, I was just wondering at what point... <laughs> fuck you. I was it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> I usually make a note to myself to, to, to so I remind myself, hey, this is something I'm saying, not them, but I didn't do that this time, because I was like, I'll remember, and then I didn't. Uh, <laughs> So how you got to change your voice, man? <laughs> I wonder at what point we screened out the people with the uh, <laughs> digressions. Uh, I guess I was wondering. There's definitely a point. The hailbags got longer and longer due to my inability yeah. to screen them out. So that, mm-hmm. but I wonder if there's a point on that spectrum we lost people. I wonder if just the general length of the hailback like people were on board and then at a point people were like I can't do this anymore if they skip ahead these are all to poll questions it probably wouldn't be accurate to poll questions because it would just be the the patrons um, whatever the case it's definitely like like and I wonder like okay so I started to let it get longer and longer how soon after that did we lose people was it 10 episodes later was it immediate I don't know that we ever did lose those people specifically because we have always been putting the time code in. And I guess that's that's the question too. Yeah. Like did people even with the time code are like, I don't care. I can't bear it that there was discussion. I can't scrub my thumb that far. Well, some obsessive people might be like, but then there's part of it that I'm not hearing and I'm upset. But I don't want to hear would it. would not be upset about a long hail back then. Completionists don't care. They're happy to hear us ramble. Couldn't you be a completionist and still want a shorter uh, bar of completion? Then this isn't the show for you. You'd see that when the time code came up. Well, in the end, that's what I—that's my stance, which is basically like, I guess it doesn't matter because whoever has remained are the people that like whatever this is. Uh, Zeppo Vendetta, kind of funny name. Says, now that Matt is presumably going to uh, be able to make some custom playlists for TNG, I thought I would give it a go trying to find the seven episodes he should choose. Um, sounds to me like he's looking for four things. Episodes that are not terrible. Epi- episode that's not scary. Episode that's mm-hmm. mostly set on the ship. Episode with mm-hmm. no Klingons. Below is my mm-hmm. guess. The next phase, remember me, cause and love effect, it, love it. disaster, it. the chase, galaxy's child, Relics. Uh, that this way you wake, you get to uh, wake up to Scotty. Disaster, I might take out of there because of the screaming children. Well, that was the thing. Rudicio says some of those were sca- are scary, unhappy for face, yeah. sideways emoji. Um, <laughs> but but overall, not a terrible list. Here's what I would do: I'd pull out disaster and I'd put devils do in there. Which one's Devils Do? That's where Audra comes to reclaim her planet. <laughs> that is a good one. Yeah. That's nice and light. Did they, they never brought back Audra, did they? She was a Ardra? good character. No. That's a good character. I don't know why they didn't. Nick, Nick. in Space Jail. I mean, it seemed pretty clear cut. They were sending her to Space Jail. Oh, yeah. Well, Audra would have found her way out, mud style. Nick, Nick, Tabasco. Uh, says, for the first time in at least four years and hundreds of episodes, Andy and Matt uncovered something for me that really helped me appreciate an episode quite a bit more. 
this is vaguely insulting instead of the usual shtus uh i didn't uh catch it at all when odo notes sarandon's elalorian or the uh sarandon's elalorian or the idea that they can elicit people talking and spilling beans once that becomes an actual thing all the scenes with people just dumping exposition and history on his character, the jail guy, Nog, the non-grifting lady, and his boredom at having to listen to it all, it becomes just a better show to me. Still no better than of a four, course. but at least not a two or a three. Thanks, guys. Imagine two, that. 200 episodes and you finally did it. Imagine an episode that had this character that was constantly getting expository dialogues delivered to them with no explanation. To me... Even though Odo states it and you see it repeatedly, to me, it's not the point of the episode, and that's where the missed boat is. In in keeping with a lot of the, the things, the problems I have with that episode, is like the Quark and Skellington face-off never really feels like it, it, it culminates in anything satisfying. And that is a great plot to have a non-Guinan Elorian that's just plagued with people. But it's like he's also using it to con people, so it's sort of positive. So it kind of undercuts. But if it was just the whole thing with this guy who's trying to get to Deep Space Nine because he's trying to go as far as he can away from every other being because they won't stop fucking telling him their shit, that I would much... I'd think that'd be a very interesting. But also he loves a grift, so he's got to stay on the Well, that's where it gets muddy. Uh, Eric Peebles says on one hand DS9 seems pretty laissez-faire in that you can open a gambling parlor with no inspections regulations or permit considerations but on the other hand the local government has the authority to destroy your property based solely on suspicion real mixed bag of an economic system (laughs) Uh, Luke Morgan Rowe says I love how Mr. Blobby at number one in the charts came up. I've used that for years as an example of why democracy is rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lieutenant Adam H. says, did anyone else do a double take when Andy said Rosario Dawson was Ahsoka uh, and think, oh, cool, Balana is in Star Wars now. Just me? Okay, does anyone <laughs> think the investment lady, has, this is a thing, a lady from the room, and she, he, has a, he, has a, uh, he has a clip, but we don't need to go into that. And then David Oni-Ral said, yes to your first point. Uh, then I found compassion, made a donation to the Name Blindness Foundation in the name of Alan Secunda. So I'm only bringing this up. Uh, David Oni-Ral has duly apologized to me for throwing me under the bus when... Uh, but I just want to, because they're both, they were both saying as though I had mixed up Roxanne Dawson for Rosario Dawson. And I had, I was right. Yeah. And they were wrong. And then he sort of is applying. I thought they were just saying that they thought of it just because they've been listening to the Star Trek podcast a lot and their brain just sort of thought of Roxanne Dawson. Well, that's what I said. But then David Oniral said uh, he he did think that both of them were wrong. And then I was like, well, do other people think that I was wrong, too? So I'm just saying. Or they could also not accept live action Ahsoka. You know? I don't know what you're saying now. Maybe they're just like, no, this is always going to be. Who, who the fuck was it? Tara Strong? Who did it? 
Uh, who did? Who was wh- the voice of Ahsoka? Oh, in the cartoon. Because they could impressed be like, if you're right, Ashley Eckstein. Unless there were ah, uh, yeah, David Eckstein's wife. <laughs> what? Is that true? Yeah, David Eckstein, the baseball player. <laughs> oh, I see. I think you're just short stop for the Angels. Naming some Eckstein, you know. Married Ashley in 2005. <laughs> um. Anyway, I appreciate your apology. Dave and uh, let's see what David Eckstein got paid over his career. Why not? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. We got plenty of time. <laughs> I'm just curious. Uh, sure. In the meantime, as oh. to what gave Ashley Eckstein the freedom and ability to start her company that she started, which is delightful, called her universe. Um, let's see. That must have been a lot. Well, maybe not. Was that on Disney? What was that on originally? What was Clone Wars on originally? Wasn't um, it on like Cartoon Network? I think, like yeah. Crazy? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was on the Cartoon. So that probably wasn't great voiceover money, but it was endless, so. <laughs> That's true. Um, uh, let's see. And I started by watching the Clone Wars movie, by the way, and then moved into the series proper just to simplify it for myself but now others have kind of piped in that they they reordered them themselves and that's why there are all these chronological orders uh of clone wars so now i'm a few episodes in and i might reverse course and start going chronologically he did not make as much as i thought 19.6 million should over I, 10 years. Should I do a sub stack where I watch Clone Wars since Matt won't watch it with me? <sighs> Let me know. Why? Can't you just enjoy things on your own? No. Um, I can't enjoy things on my own in general. So I have to make it purposeful. And then I enjoy it a little bit because then at least I'm engaging with somebody about it. Um, examine the, the psychology on that. I'm happy to have it. Uh, broken down for me. Uh, did you get how much did he make? I wasn't nineteen six over the course of his Total, career, which is actually I think uh, less than I would have thought. Nineteen million? Yeah, he won two World Series and was a World Series MVP. So I mean, I would have thought it would have, I would have thought he cleared about sixty. That's what I would have thought. Is that really how much a successful baseball player makes? What are you talking about? How much? That's a, middling. That's a middling baseball player right there. How long was his career? How many years? It was like eight years. Holy crap. He should have been paid more. I think his agent failed him. He was drafted by the Red Sox. Hmm. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And he's got his baseball wife's baseball. voiceover money. And he's rolling in that Ahsoka money. <laughs> <laughs> and her universe, like, fucking... I think that got sold at some point. It exploded. Super successful. Her universe? That's the name of uh, Ashley Eckstein's company that makes fashion for fangirls. Oh, I thought you were joking. That She really has a whole other thing, huh? Oh, yeah. Do you want a coat that's Outlander themed, but is classy and looks like a lady would wear it? Then go there. Do you need that's... some Clone Wars hoodies and sweaters? That's so that, smart. That look... That look like cool sweaters and don't actually, you can't, 
You don't really know they're Clone Wars until you look really close at them. Ashley Eckstein, you have my you have my uh, compliments as a genius. That is genius to parlay your nerd connection into that business. It is just so smart. I mean, see a hole in the market, right? Yeah. Fucking nail it. That's what we did with this podcast. We're yeah, like, this, hey, this Star Trek. There's almost even enough Star Trek podcasts. <laughs> we got to get in there. Try it out. <laughs> Lieutenant Miley says, Star Trek pins a lot of plot moves on neutrinos, but this one feels as like they had a science advisor. If they if they had a science advisor, they were out this week. Um, <laughs> Lieutenant Ben Sunko. All right, guys, we're going on that week-long vacation. Don't write anything stupid. All right, I'll see you later. I had a question about neutrino. Oh, the elevator oh. closed. Uh, Lieutenant Ben Sunko says, uh, asks the question, deep space rotten scoundrels? <laughs> it is what that episode was. Uh, Lilu Dallas Multipass says, Bashir's racquetball outfit has a real seven of nine catsuit flavor. <laughs> it does. And it's delightful. Um... Casey Nielsen says, I'm an American living in Britain, married to an English person, so I have an outsider's take on Mr. Blobby. My wife recently introduced the character to our son, eight years old, who was initially perplexed by what unfolded. That quickly dissolved into reluctance and then outright terror, the kind that literally made it hard for him to breathe. I'm pretty sure it's a combination of the warped voice and those haunting dead emerald eyes. Anyway, I get the feeling that it's a crapshoot whether the locals think he's terrifying or not. Definitely a thing, though. Avery still goes into a panic whenever a clip show show trots out Mr. B, which is far too often, if you ask me. <laughs> Are they really pushing Mr. Blobby these days? I think he's just like in the cultural zeitgeist, so. Crazy. Lieutenant Commander Molay, Historical Archives Division, says, just try to... Oh, I already did that one. Um, that won the, won the big prize. Tyler R. used to identify as a, as a data, but now he thinks he was probably a Wesley. Hails us. I really like these types of episodes. It was a bit of a slice-of-life storyline that has characters that aren't from the regular cast, which to me made perfect sense in a port-of-call space station situation. My friends and I referred to Deep, Deep Space Nine as cafeteria track. And for the first season and a half or so, it was meant somewhat derogatorily. Um, but then we really started to appreciate the show for just that. Oh, shit. Was that my first true instance of going from ironic hipster liking to actual liking of something? I feel shame and my age. Where does Riker empty spit valve? Shame. Shame. Clink, 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 clink. Um, where does Riker empty a spit valve? Says, no spoilers, but I'm watching the most recent episode of Lower Decks and someone on that staff listens to TNC. We all had our suspicions, but this joke is pulled straight from TNC lore. Matt and Andy should be getting writing credit for this show. P.S. <laughs> Andy, don't watch because there's actually a huge DS9 spoiler in this episode. We don't want it. What are you saying? Our names associated with the show. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want work. Don't give us work. We only think about Star Trek constantly and try and find a comedic spin on it. Uh, Look, what are we going to do? We'll end up like Prodigy. We'll just shh, take it off the air and you'll never be able to see it again. That's the beauty of uh, streaming. Yeah, but you'll get some money in the meantime. 
Nah. <laughs> Jeremy Spector adds to that. LOL, I had the same thought. It's way too coincidental. I really would love to know what this thing is. Parallel Neil, thinking. Neil Studd says, uh, Neil Studd, a.k.a. Norris's Pieces, uh, says, also knowing Matt's love of the work of Matt Barry, the episode title, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place, they're definitely being courted and they don't even know it. Hmm. MST3 Katie. Look, if I was uh, if I was writing on that show, I would listen to a bunch of comedic Star Trek podcasts. I would write every title with Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, sure. I would listen to comedic Star, uh, Star Trek podcasts and see if there was any information that was useful, even if I was going to do my own spin. Would you? I wouldn't, because I'd, I'd be afraid of bleed over and stealing, accidentally. Yeah, that's fair. I probably wouldn't. Also, I would be yeah. working so hard that I wouldn't have time to do it. Um, also, if you're listening to this right now, stop. Are you afraid of accidentally stealing something? I'm not saying you're doing it on purpose. See, I'm I'm into it as long as you make Matt and I podcasting characters on the show. So that I that way, take that. Well, I'm down for it. MST three or just hire us. MST three Katie says, "Here is my question: What are the worst seven episodes in a row?" <laughs> That's a good question. And then Tristan Lewis Robbins throws out for TNG <laughs> season two of Picard, either episodes one through seven or three <laughs> through ten. <laughs> uh, for TNG, there's some really gnarly streaks of mediocrity in season one and two. For joint, ooh, he gives us the the TNC scores. For joint TNC score, there's a run in season one from Code of Honor through to Big Goodbye, nine episodes where nothing was rated above a 5.5 for Matt from uh, uh, from too short a season through to We'll Always Have Paris, nine episodes. He didn't rate anything above a four. To date, DS9 hasn't had uh, a long dodgy streak, though there was a weak patch in season one from the storyteller through to Dramatis Personae, um, five episodes, where the joint TNC score wasn't above a 5.5. That's interesting. Thank you for jumping in with the with the stats, with Lieutenant Commander Luther Robbins. That's it for the Priority One messages. Cool, cool, cool. Let's go over to the other things that we do, which was we're gonna first we're gonna get out of here. All right. Excuse me, sir. Pardon me. No, wrong door. We're back in here somehow. It's like when they open the turbo lift door, but through the door is another bridge. That's yeah. what we just did. Oh, Hang no. on. Captain, we are being hailed. What's up? <laughs> is he doing his regular hailbag really catchphrase? I don't know why that popped into my head. I really don't. That I think should be part of the... Uh, part of the <laughs> it's also, in addition to the other inexplicable aspects of it, it's inexplicable that that would just be in the regular hailbag, but not the, not the president's circle. Um... Andy's Wire podcast from our old friend, Lieutenant Commander Kyle Barker. Hey, Andy, if you do start a Wire podcast, it will have to be called The Wire, The Fewer. 
<laughs> yeah. In case you want that crossover yeah, audience. Just, yeah. I mean, who else is going to listen to that except the <laughs> people in here anyway? Um. Okay. Then we have a hail. Uh, if you could play UK music, Matt, from a voice hail. Yes. Hello, Matt and Andy. Uh, James here. Um, I am driving, so hopefully it's not too terrible to uh, hear. Um, regarding Mr. Blobby, um, <laughs> one of the things that Britain does, well, I'm not going to say well, uh, but we tend to get behind ridiculous music um, to just annoy the Simon Cowles of the world. So... For example, when X Factor and The Voice and Britain's Got Talent were taking over the number ones too much, uh, we decided to vote for Killing in the Name of um, by Rage Against the Machine because we were just sick and tired of the same stuff being churned out. Uh, Mr. Bobby, I think, was a charity single, so we tend to get behind those. Mm, that's true. And one of the Christmas reasons is, is we have... Uh, superstar DJs, we have DJs that work all across the country. So BBC's Radio 1 is a radio station that could be heard all across the country. So it was very easy to mobilise the mm. whole country behind one song, which is something that Radio 1 did often uh, when, they, when they wanted to be silly. <clears throat> so yes, we as a nation are a bit silly when it comes to our music. And because our radio stations are country-wide, it's very easy to get silly songs put into number one. Uh, thanks very much for the pod. As always, you guys rock. Uh, talk to you soon. That is a very succinct and unique explanation for something I hadn't thought about. They do have the BBC rate, like so Chris Evans' morning show that goes everywhere in the entire country. Yeah. Like, it's pretty wild to think about. Like, I know there's syndicated shows out here, like, you know, Casey Kasem's Top Countdown and Delilah, etc. Mm-hmm. But, like, the idea of, like, no, no, we all get this exact radio station. That doesn't exist out here. Is that just the market's fractured, or... No, the country's small enough. <laughs> country's small. Doesn't enough. take that many antennas. Yeah. Aren't there national radio stations that sort of like I, what? I don't know. I, I, don't, I can't think of any. I, I grew up in the city, so I don't. I've never understood radio. I grew up in, I mean, not New York, but like you know, Lowell. <laughs> but Lowell, Lowell has more the New York of the North. <laughs> Lowell has more car culture, and car culture is very. There is certainly more sitting in cars. Absolutely. So I think that. But like to dismiss like K Rock. No, uh, yeah, I listen to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Stern Um, and and uh, everything. You know, all the all the shit that came out of New York. Um, but nonetheless, I was not. I think I came to Stern later because I didn't listen to him in the car. But uh, I, I was probably atypical anyway. Um, okay, so the last hail, uh, actually it's not the last hail, but a hail, uh, some, someone who preferred to remain anonymous, 
uh, says, Dear Andy and Matt, wanted to send you a note of thanks. During the past couple of years, while using TNG as a low-stress background noise, I discovered that I enjoy the show much more than I remembered. <laughs> uh, when it originally aired, my older sister controlled the remote and... Uh, Oh, so did I say do, do using TNG as a low-stress background noise? I already said that. Yes, you did. Yes, yes, yes. When it originally aired, my older sister controlled the remote, and as a child, I was mostly bored by the interplanet- interplanetary diplomacy in TNG. Even though I was not a big fan due to my lack of excitement over any party, my bat mitzvah was Star Trek-themed. Wow. Nice. My parents made a good call, though, because it was a cool and memorable party. Everyone got a tricorder as a table card. Nice. Oh, man. The cake was the 1701D. There are pictures with me kind of smiling with Worf and Data and more. Um, I haven't yet met. That's a classic bar mitzvah picture if you're sort of kind of smiling. I haven't yet met anyone else with a similarly themed bar bat mitzvah. Um, our friend Lauren um, had a Star Wars themed uh, uh, bar mitzvah, uh, but I bet the odds are higher among your among your listenership. Listenership. My enjoyment of the show peaked when I found your podcast. Your voices have kept me company during the last couple of years when my mobility was reduced and after hip surgery this summer. Wanting to give myself something to look forward to. For the first part of my recovery after a surgery, I joined the Patreon. Since I will uh, likely need surgery on my other hip next year, I'm trying to save up uh, all the Patreon from now until then, though still subscribed at the lieutenant's level. But I found myself going back to TNC episodes of TNG in the meantime. I've been meaning to send you a note for a while, but I was just listening to the Sub Rosa episode and Matt's giggle at about 159 into the podcast made me smile and it motivated me to finally write. Thank you for your podcast, for keeping me company, for making me smile and for allowing me to surprise my older sister with your Star Trek knowledge. Um, And that's it. Uh, Thank you for writing the note and taking the time. Who could forget... That time that Frazier had to deliver a speech at Frederick's Bar Mitzvah, and because, of course, the character Frazier is not Jewish, he read the speech in Klingon yeah. and thought he was speaking Hebrew. Yeah. Lord Wileko'o. Hak Zhaj Shokoav Moach. Language Lo Oten. Judge language, vod belrat, shove da nobe po o boach. Shabbat shalom. Oh, that was lovely. What's up? How does he end up with it in Klingon and thinking it's Hebrew? He gets a, he he takes Noel Noel from the station as a big Star Trek fan. He grabs his note instead of his. You know what I mean? I see. Um, <laughs> what was that gobbledygook? Well, it's, it, it's a blessing for my son, Poark, Lord Welekor. <laughs> that means nothing. It's gibberish. What? That's not gibberish. It's Klingon. <laughs> what? Oh, dear God. Freddy's dad just blessed him in Klingon. <laughs> I'm... I'm terribly sorry. I, I, will you excuse me, please? 
Um, really is playing to the Matt Myra fan base there. Come on. Uh, and then we have a, a, a prime corrective. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It is interesting, Matt. Time for retrospective. Because truth is our objective. It's a prime corrective. Because Matt and he got it wrong. Andy the Astrophysicist. This feels like this is... I don't know if this even goes in prime corrective because it feels like it's maybe correcting the show or maybe it's just correcting our interpretation. Andy the Astrophysicist says, you can't shave latinum. It's called gold press latinum because the expensive part is liquid, which is encased in worthless gold. All you would get if you shaved it was the gold. Um, then David S. the Homer Stealing Vulcan or something like that, go a lizard, go, says, yeah, I was just assuming... I just assumed shaving was the fringy version of skimming, a.k.a. So I guess he's saying like it's like he's skimming the profits, but he's not specifically shaving the gold. But that doesn't feel like what they're saying when Nog says that. Does gold have no value? I guess that's what any of the astrophysicists is implying. Well, if it has no value, then that's silly. It's probably an oversight from the writer's room. Um, it's interesting the, the expensive part is a liquid uh, if you would like to send a hail send it to sdtncpod at gmail.com please put the title of the episode uh, that you're referring to in subject heading somewhere um, if you'd like to send in art or any kind of visual or a video or a, maybe even a sound thing you can send it to sttncpod at gmail.com actually if it's a sound thing you can send it to the regular email uh you can tweet or instagram matt at matt myra you can instagram me at andrew secunda or uh tweet me at secunda uh or x me whatever the crap it is uh our instagram and our twitter account is at star trek tnc and our tiktok account is also at star trek tnc new material coming out all the time check it out and if you'd like to send in a voice ale send it to 816 trek tnc if you want to make like a TikTok of like us saying the joke with the date on it, followed by lower decks and the date that, that aired, oh, that'd be a fun TikTok. Oh yeah, <laughs> every Good instance suggestion, you can find of that, Matt. Go for it. I love it. <clears throat> be like, Actually, who's it'd be, listening. It'd be a great supercut if someone wants to start collecting all oh of the things God. that are that are uh, suspicious. <laughs> Although I'm inclined to agree with Matt that it probably is parallel thinking. I mean, look, you're knows? in the you're in the you're in the same room playing with the same toys. Yeah, you're gonna do some things the same. Uh, all right. That said, we're very funny. Uh, anyway, <laughs> are we the funniest? Are we the the best? Are we mm, the best? We're the best. We're not the funniest. Best the comedic best. podcast voices, but not the finest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We crossed many doors to many places Your hails made us think of all your faces So plug TNC in your little board node Let's talk about this week's episode This week's episode is from uh, 9th of January 1994 It's called The Alternate Andy, what's happening? 9th of January 1994 Such a good question, Matt Such a good question hmm. Um, The number one song Let's 
Mm. So we got a we got a Mariah Carey one that I believe we must have played before, and then we have a song in the UK that's a version of "Twisted Shout" by Sh- uh, Shaka Dimus and Pliers, or the alternative song is "Daughter" by Pearl Jam. So I don't know which one you want to. Chaka, Chaka. I was looking up Chaka, like Chaka Khan. Let's, I mean, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) This makes infinitely more sense. Can I see? Can you put it up? You know, I I, I I let that off the hook. It's certainly, I mean, it's obviously more understandable than than Blobby, Mister Blobby. Uh, Andy left. He probably was so offended by the song, he was like, "I can't be a part of this anymore." Which you know what? I'm not going to blame him. Oh no, he came back. Sorry, everybody. So, you hated the song that much, huh? I couldn't. I can stand. <laughs> that. That's a that's a the Beatles were doing a cover too, right? You can't, yeah, yeah. So I can't even say that. It's you can't a, stand Island Jams. Um, I was trying to, I was trying to maximize my my image, and I disconnected myself. Uh, I didn't stop because i that's Nor the level I. the level of kindness short. i have to my co-host who hates editing so do we need to Don't do anything do it the pinch. um don't have to okay uh well uh let's also check out because i realize aunt muhammad had occasionally been uh sending things in she says i've been slack in submitting these but the number one song in australia for episode Mm -hmm. 12 is please forgive me by brian adams (laughs) so we check that out Hmm. um do we have to here it is Actually, now agree with Matt. Please forgive me. I didn't agree with Matt before I heard it, but now that I've heard it, I agree with Matt. Do we have to? <laughs> um, the number one movie was Mrs. Doubtfire. The number one TV show that week was Home Improvement. Uh, number one song in the U.S. was Hero by Mariah Carey. Um, deaths that week. Singer Harry Nielsen events. The trial of Lorena Bobbitt begins. Lorena Bobbitt. Uh, Tanya Harding's bodyguard is arrested for the assault of Nancy Kerrigan. Boy, was this a moment in time. Uh, Time magazine cover, Las Vegas, the new all-American city. (laughs) What a simpler time when those were all the headlines. Was that ever a moment in time? 
Then we have a... MGM had a theme park. Treasure Island was built. Really trying to pull in the family crowd. They've spent hundreds of millions of dollars undoing all of that. Uh, what were you going to say? Uh, we have an Elsewhere in Trek to explore. Oh, exciting. Elsewhere in Trek. So loud. Let's see what's out there. Engage. So, what's happening in uh, the rest of Star Trek? Uh, January 10th, TNG presented the Pegasus, wherein Riker's old boss ruined Captain Picard Day and got himself kicked out of the Admiral's Club. Later, <laughs> on another show, we will learn a little bit more about the events of this episode. <laughs> but hey, guys, spoilers. Come on. That's about as spoilery as I want to get. There you go. There you go. All right. Wherever there so, you go, there you are. Let's talk about the alternate then. This is a teleplay by Bill Dial, story by Jim Trembetta and Bill Dial. And this is the Memory Alpha logline. It says the Bajoran scientist who used to be Odo's teacher <laughs> arrives with evidence of others of Odo's kind. Huh. Okay. Let's get down. Get down, get down. What Ferengi could resist the honor of owning a small piece of the man that took a computer chip and turned it into the modular holler suite industry? A small piece of the man that brought holographic entertainment to the most remote parts of the quadrant, creating profit centers from societies that can barely afford to feed their own people. How much are you asking? As I was about to tell my good friend here, a mere three strips of latinum. And uh, I'd be taking a loss at that price. Which, as we all know, is filled with liquid. Here's the question. Here's what I think. Okay. I don't think it's real latinum. Because Odo walks in, yeah, and then they cut to the next shot, and he's suddenly holding latinum. As I was about to tell my, I good think he just forms some latinum. A mere three strips of latinum, and uh, oh, I'm taking no, a loss at that price. <laughs> oh, you mean it's part of Odo? Yeah, I, I do. That's what I think. Can he do that? Because be... he comes in thinking it's a shim sham flam anyway, right? Right. It is odd, I guess. Did he already knew that something was afoot? He already knew that there was some con happening, so he was coming in to basically mess with him, so then he would have come in with the platinum. It's very convoluted, I agree. They're dead. Others pack them in blocks of ice. Some even surround themselves with the company of family corpses. But the Ferengi ritual of chopping up their loved ones and selling them, (laughs) I find that irresistible. I'm very busy here. What a fitting and distinguished way to honor the memory of great Ferengi entrepreneurs. I'm thinking of starting a collection, putting up a display case in my office. There'll be a special space in there reserved just for you, Quark. I'm sure. You're serious? Have you ever known me not to be? 
There is one thing I was curious about. And what's that? How do I know it's plague? It says so on the label. Isn't there some sort of letter of authenticity? The Ferengi seal of dismemberment is right here. What more do you want? I want plague. You got him. Not if he's still alive. Still alive? Still alive. Plague? After I tracked him down on Kosla 2, told him about your little scheme, he was quite amused. I'm not. Odo, I'm a victim here. I bought these discs in good faith. I have 5,000 pieces of plague in my storeroom. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> not plague. Then who? Good question. I demand an investigation. You'll get one, I promise you. Odo! Dr. Mora. It's been too long. So they were going to have that be Rene Aubergeois. Right. But they but they realized it would take too long to get him out of makeup and into makeup, and it would have taken 14 days instead of seven, which is hilarious and accurate, probably. It is. It is a shame, because I think he would have really crushed it. Oh, it would have been great. Because the, the, the... Odo is so different from his his character on Benson. So he clearly has a tremendous amount of range. So, (laughs) um, (coughs) as a matter of fact, they say about Seinfeld too, you know, (laughs) knowing him from Benson as I did was part of the reason that it took me so long to accept him. Like part, he was part of the reason that I, I checked out of DS nine was like, I don't buy this guy as a fucking, you know, like the sheriff, badass character. I don't buy this at all. He's a fop, and I'm not buying his his, his gruff voice. Um, but in in retrospect, very handily done two separate characters. So it's a shame he didn't get this chance. Why didn't you let me know that you were coming? It was a last minute arrangement. Uh-huh. The trip from Bajor takes five hours. Can I get you something, uh, Dr. Uh, Mora, was it? Yes. Some uh, decart tea would be nice. Hmm. Haven't quite managed the ears yet, have you? Oh, no, but they're, they're, they're difficult. Is the suit a suit or part of you? Oh, and what about the boots? Here we are. Nice and hot. Thank you. So, um, you two seem to be old friends. Dr. Mora is the Bajoran scientist who was assigned to me after I was found. I was personally responsible for his development during his formative years. So this is a family reunion. I had a hunch. Well, Odo's dad is always welcome at Quark. I know he wouldn't tell you himself, but Odo is doing a wonderful job here on the station, if I may say so. Is he? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, when you came in, he was just beginning a fraud investigation. Quark! Excuse us. Of course. So... First of all, that's obviously mm-hmm. James Sloyan who played the Defector and Jatrell and Voyager and even Future Alexander. I was uh, so, what a what a Star Trek range. Yeah, um, and uh, uh, it's very interesting to kind of figure out in this episode. I sometimes feel like, oh, this is a deeply, 
dysfunctional relationship where he is a very manipulative, self-interested, narcissistic parent. And sometimes I feel like the episode is trying to tell us, like, no, he's just sort of a parent that gives his, you know, his kid some of the business, you know, like annoying parents do, but he really cares about him. Like, I'm not sure where they even really landed in the end. Um, but uh, I, I'm also not sure where they landed. But I will say, um, I'm not sure what happens in the episode. I think that's also fair. I will say that it. I guess I, I, we've discussed it in various ways, but it never really occurred to me. Odo's basically walking around naked all the time because his clothes are just part of him. Yeah, I mean, we've ta- have we talked about this? I feel like we've talked about this. We've, I think we've talked about like the badge and the other variations right, and stuff. Right. Sure. I think just the idea that he's basically streaking everywhere he walks on DS Nine. He's exposing I mean, himself to everyone. <laughs> I mean, look, if he can't, if he can't take the heat, get out of the promenade. That's what they say. <laughs> What they say. The two of you have a lot of catching up to do. If there's anything I can help you with, Doctor, don't hesitate to call on me. That was the other thing is I don't know if this you is. Don't know Quark. I know that he was trying to. Pres- I don't know if this is a new outfit or this is just what he always is wearing, and I and it seems more apparent to me here. But this outfit seems the most Munchkiny and Oompa Loompa y of any of Quark's outfits, and I don't know if that's just what he's always wearing, and I just noticed it. You know, I didn't even catch it. Yeah. I, really don't, I don't see uh, Quark's outfits very often. You know, I don't really... It just sort of blend into Ferengi for me. Quality. Chief of security at a way station in space. Don't you miss it, Odo? What? Our work? Never. I don't believe it. I know you too well. You are unhappy in the lab. I can't blame you for that. But the work, Odo. The work. The exploration of you, what you are, where you came from. It's never far from your mind, is it? That part of it is true. Good. Because I came here counting on that. (gasps) What does he mean? You're hooked now, aren't you, DS9 fans? No, not even a little, actually. Oh, all right. Well, we went to credits, so it seems like you would be. Uh, Well, since we're doing the father-son thing, we better have a father-son scene, I guess. (laughs) This is about learning. You can't learn to appreciate Klingon opera by cramming for the exam the night before. What am I ever going to use Klingon opera for? Well, first of all, you don't know what you're going to be when you grow up. You may discover along the way that you want to be a musician, or you may find yourself among some Klingons in a job somewhere. Something, <laughs> Vincent. And even if I did, they wouldn't be going around singing operas. It helps you understand their culture. When was the last time you listened to Klingon opera? When I was your age. There, you see. <laughs> I really enjoy yeah. this. Kind of basically, it's the classic trigonometry argument for uh, except for Klingon opera. Uh, I enjoyed that. I, I'll let it go. I agree. 
Nog has the same test. Why don't you invite him over and you can listen to the Klingon opera together? Please, Odo, sit down. Commander, I'd like to request the use of a runabout. Of course. For what? Uh, Dr. Mora Pohl from the Bajoran Institute of Science has asked me to help him secure one from the Federation. Why did he come to you? Dr. Mora is the scientist who was assigned to me in my first years here. If he went to the Board of Ministers to request permission to approach you, it would take months, and he's very anxious to investigate something in the Gamma Quadrant. And may I say, Commander, so am I. You've got me curious, Constable. Is it a secret? No, but there isn't much to tell. One of the Bajoran science probes recently scanned a planet about six light years from the wormhole. It picked up some very unique and familiar DNA patterns. Patterns very much like my own, Commander. Dr. Mora thinks he may have discovered the origin of my people. We never really... Me. We never really... Outside of the threat that happens to the stuff that, that infects Odo, we never really find out what the answers to any of that are. Is that what happens? I think that that's... They're saying that basically the gas that that makes everybody else sick when they go down to the planet is somehow got inside Odo and made him a monster. <laughs> and then when they remove that, then he's back to being Odo. Is my understanding. But I don't think they ever explain... Why does the monster want to attack? It's it's pursuing energy and shit, but it's not made clear. And I don't think it's made clear what the what the the sort of whatever pole with the hieroglyphics on it. That was my biggest problem with the episode, frankly, was the fact that instead of scanning it with a detailed tricorder reading, they she fucking beams it off the planet. Yeah. I was like, well, this is ridiculous. This is not something that would happen. Right. Like, given everything I know about Star Trek and the respect for other cultures, etc., they would never beam this thing off of the fucking planet. Yeah. So she beams it off because she wants to take it from the Gamma Quadrant to the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah. To get more readings with an old Cardassian computer. Maybe this is this is a side of is like one of Dax's hosts that are more mercenary kind of you know Indiana Jones style archaeologists. How dare you? Indiana Jones would would be like, hey, this belongs in a museum. Yes, but he She's would also. Like, I'm taking it home. He would also go into a temple, steal something, destroying the whole temple to then bring yeah, it to make else. sure a badder guy doesn't get it. Uh huh. He didn't know that guy was there until he comes out of the temple. What are you talking about? He always knew Bellic was behind him. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Yes, he does. It's never made clear. When Odo was first found, nobody knew who or indeed what it was we were dealing with. A shapeless, viscous mass of fluid, a, a veritable organic broth. That was our Odo in the beginning. When did you realize you were dealing with a sentient life form? He didn't. I had to teach him that myself. <laughs> He's laughing at this. It's very true. <laughs> Tell her. 
It was a dilemma for me. I'd never seen anything like these creatures. The scene isn't really an appropriate description. He had no eyes, per se. I was just trying to describe it in simple terms. He had never perceived anything like us before. Go on. I knew I had to find some way to communicate with them, so I transformed myself into... It was remarkable. Every morning I would come into the lab, and every morning Odu would be there, resting in his liquid form in a crocant petri beaker. One morning I walked in, and Odu was gone. The beaker was empty. But next to it was an identical beaker that had not been there before. A perfect replica in every way. It was... amazing. It hasn't been the same since you've gone, Odo. Working with you has been the most rewarding part of my career. Hmm. We're approaching the planet. Prepare to enter standard orbit. Odo is such a a cryptic individual that it's like, he seems annoyed because he always seems annoyed there, but it's not even clear what his feeling is about this guy. However... I think it's more like, hey, don't show these baby photos of me. You're embarrassed. I know that that's the comedic pretense of this thing. And I I do like that. I like that they have this thing playing out that he's basically embarrassing them. And it it kind of in some ways does touch on how how people feel about their parents, that they do feel like they're being treated like they're experiments and like not people when they're being presented in a certain way for the parents' purposes. Yeah. but the other thing that really struck me in this in this section is that he says uh, he he makes the the underline of like you know he says well I'd never seen creatures like that and uh, and he says well that's not really accurate it's he'd never perceived creatures like us before because he didn't have eyes and it sort of suggests to me because we've talked about well how come you know what does Odo see out of his eyes or not it seems to me like that's saying he doesn't see out of his eyes he sees out of everything. And therefore, there should be no reason that anyone could have snuck up on him in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Which is irritating. Um, the last thing is, uh, this Dr. Mora is kind of like laughing it off like, yeah, I didn't even know that it was sentient. <laughs> Until, you know, Odo reached out in this extreme way to communicate it. It's mm-hmm. like, that's not a fucking war story. You're saying you're a bad scientist. Mm. Or is he saying that Odo's a good experiment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could be either. Could be either. Oh, I had a question, Matt. Is this the first... This is probably the answer is no, since we're already a two season and a half in. Is this the first planet we've seen in the Gamma Quadrant? No. Couldn't remember another one. But. I uh, the Remember the one where they're at war? What was it? And uh, Cisco and the Bajoran priestess are left there. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The Kai. I can't wait to beam this thing up. So oh, boy. I love the planet. It's kind of like a Japanese painting. Do the letters mean anything to you? No, I don't think so. Judging by its position in the ruins, 
I think it's fair to say that this pillar represented something important to the people who lived here. Why don't we take it with us? Our computers back on the station might be able to decipher the inscriptions. Just scan it or take a picture. If all you're looking for is deciphering inscriptions, just take a picture or have somebody draw it. And if it ends up in my quarters, you know, as uh, the uh, the end, the sort of a, you know, just sort of a decorative piece that I've been looking for, then, well, you know, what are you going to do? Where is Dr. Will? Dr. Will! Over here. Hey, do you this line later? I think I may have found what we're looking How for. How did that guy not see where he was? It's like 10 feet away from him. <laughs> Is it carbon-based? No, silicate, but vegetative and very much alive. It also seemed ADR. Do Junior, perhaps. This guy had a bad read on everything. Computer, begin transport. Planet responds appropriately. Like I assume it's like whatever creatures are there still are angry about what just happened, right? Yeah, it's very Indiana Jones-ish. Well, it's not a booby trap, isn't it? Or is it? I feel like it is a booby trap. Oh, I thought it was the beings that are still there. Oh, it could I be either. It could be either. Whatever the case, they're reacting to the fact that they just took they're this thing. They're stable for now. Dax is in fair condition, but the Bajorans seem to be more seriously affected. Perhaps like... they were exposed to more of the gas, or there may be something about trill physiology I'm not sure yet. An Odo? I haven't done any research on her there, or Odo, even though they're system, and since Odo doesn't have people that I should take care of and as a doctor. So, Odo doesn't have a respiratory system. We figure that out. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something there to help you figure this out. Good idea. Will he be all right? The molecule appears to have quite an unstable structure. That might mean the effect is temporary. I ask you to vamp for a second, Matthew. Yeah, I'm happy to vamp. I mean, not happy to vamp, but I'm going to vamp. So. But you think you can? You think you can pull it You're still here. Get out of here. Uh... <clears throat> I've got a couple of issues with the way that this plays out because they, even in the uh, memory alpha uh, description of the show, or not description, but like trivia, um, Michael Piller says, uh, I like the show. It's the closest thing we've done to a monster movie. And the hardest part was to keep the secret that Odo was the one who was actually doing it. I had to throw in a bunch of red herrings. I think that's sort of to the detriment of the story. Um, And again, I'm still not clear on why Odo is doing it. Ultimately, let's see. Odo refuses. He doesn't trust more, which more resents. They're arguing. Odo hits the security panel, starts to change into something else, and Mora flees from security. Uh, Mora arrives at Ops. They attempt to find out what happened. They lure him out with the with the power. 
realizing then that Oda must have felt that time as a prisoner. But again, it doesn't make any, nothing makes sense. Here we go. Uh, so it likes RF energy. Great. Odomar will walk away from the inferior more remarks on how remarkable, uh, remarkably, uh, Odo handled the investigation. It's a lot like science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dax reports no luck. Translating the, resi- the symbols, Dax starts a cross tabulation analysis, and while it runs, Mora talks to her about Odo. She says he's private. Mora clearly regrets the bad parting they had previously and is pleased that Odo is integrating into society. Then the analysis completes, and the life form that attacked Bashir didn't have enough of his similarities to be the same life form. It's never explained. I, I'm still not sure what happens in this episode, Andy. I, uh, I'm not sure either. They kind of write it off at the end. Like, it's, it's a little cuckoo. The computer's having a hard time classifying your new life form. Why? Whatever it is, it keeps changing. Somehow it goes through a metamorphosis every time it reproduces, and it reproduces like crazy. Now look at this. Multiplied so much, I had to change containers. I'll put it in a level five security field overnight. I wish Dax were here to take a look at it. How's she doing? Dr. Bashir thinks she'll be fine. That's also a weird little side trip. Uh, what do you mean? I don't know. I wish Dax was here to take a look at it. How she's do- how's she doing? Why Why is that line in there? The red herring to make people think that Dax is doing it. Oh. Like Dax is secretly the monster? Yeah. That's why they have the whole, the thing moves, and Dax is like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And that's why we also never see Bashir actually say that she released, he released Dax. And like, she's kind of coy in this way she's telling the story. Oh, I didn't read this at all. Oh, I did. I guess you're right, because otherwise I was just like, I don't even know what's going on. Yeah. Well, I thought that they, like, because of the red herrings, I thought the episode, I thought it was detrimental to the episode. Right. Because they're trying to do the mystery thing, right? Of like, who, what's the monster? So then in retrospect, Odo turns into the monster, and then why does he go and reach in to get the silicates? We don't know. Uh, I think that is to so that they don't go the same they don't end up with the same sort of uh situation he had I see so is it sort of like the when the gas hits him it's like he becomes half of the creatures that are on the planet and then they're taking over his body when he is unconscious when the gas hits him does he become like when he goes into his bucket, when he goes into his bucket mode, he, he's sort of unconscious. And is it like they're taking over his essence when he's unconscious? And it's it's like those are the creatures on the planet, like that they they examine. And why do the creatures particularly not like the guy that Odo doesn't? 
Like, why do they? Why do they have a particular interest in Doctor Mora? Yeah, if anything, I would think they'd be after Dax because she's the one that beamed them up. Yeah. <sighs> are these questions that are answered in this episode? Who knows? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I'm hoping it's a key, Mr. O'Brien. A key to my past. We'll never find out. Not in this episode, anyway. I'm going to touch it and imply that maybe I'm the... I almost wondered if it was one of the uh, one of those Bajoran orbs in there, but clearly not. Oh, in the uh, in the thing in the inside the pillar, and then we're like in this like I don't know. <laughs> I guess because you're just like trying to sort of spice your script up, so you're setting it different times and different different situations. So you're like, well, let's make Cisco asleep. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise, I was like, I don't understand why we're doing this. Kara to Cisco. Go ahead, Major. Sorry to bother you, Commander, but we need you up here in the science lab. I'm on my way. I think those lights behind his head would be distracting when you were sleeping. Maybe. Maybe he likes them. Kind of a cool headboard, though. Maybe they're like his hatch light, you know? What's a hatch light? It's a light people, you know, use sleep to. Oh. It's brighter in the morning, wakes you up slowly, etc. Oh. Should I get one of those? Yeah, you should. Are they a sponsor? Probably. No, Henry has one. Not that we could find. The security seal on the lab was still in place when we got here. I can't imagine why anyone would want to steal that thing anyway. You're suggesting the life form itself did this. I don't know what did this, Commander. Unless a tornado passed this way without us hearing it. When the room was locked, it's gone. That's all I know for now. Constable, get a level three security scan underway on the entire station. Our scanners may have trouble finding this life form. It has metamorphic qualities that were confusing the computer. You might want to run that sweep two or three times. Let's go to yellow alert. Major, you could help me by reviewing the security camera records and the heat sensor readouts for the lab and the surrounding areas. Commander, I'm picking up slight trace elements near the ventilation intake duct. It looks as though our life form may have taken this way out. Dr. Bashir gave you permission to be up and about? Dr. Bashir wouldn't listen to me and hid my clothes so I wouldn't leave. I had to sneak out to my quarters in a hospital gown that wouldn't close in the back. What did this? The working theory is... I don't like the detail that Dr. Bashir hid Dex's clothes. No, I don't either. (laughs) That does not help the the ongoing ongoing narrative that Dr. Bashir is growing (laughs) as a person. See, like they're supposed, they're playing it up like she's somehow responsible. Yeah, and I guess they just did that with with O'Brien too. Right. They're all touching it in these weird ways, like they're being affected. And then, in retrospect, if that wasn't what was going on, why are they acting all weird about the thing? <laughs> yes, thank you. I don't know. Operating for forty-three seconds at zero three hundred hours five minutes, right when the alarm sounded. Stopped. 
You mean someone turned them off? More likely some kind of power interruption. It might have affected the security field around the life form too. We're trying to analyze it now. Do the heat sensors in the lab show any thermal deviation at the same time? Almost a six degree increase during the 43 seconds. But then back to normal after that? Affirmative. Uh, we may be dealing with an entity that absorbs low frequency RF energy. It might be feeding off our power. But an energy drain should be showing up on our scans. Yeah, that's true, Constable. I don't get it. Maybe this thermal deviation was a result of... Chief? Hold on, I hear something. We've got your position. Nothing else is showing up anywhere near you. Well, I definitely hear something ahead. And then... <laughs> then he, like, finds, uh... Some goo. It looks a little like... I think Odo I found goo. our missing life form. Yeah. Except it isn't a life form anymore, it's dead. Station log, Stardate 47391.7. Engineering crews have been working for over 15 hours searching conduits. There have been no additional incidents, and no further evidence of the alien life form has been found. With this kind of cellular structure, the life form would have needed a higher concentration of carbon dioxide than our atmosphere provides. It just couldn't survive out of its own environment. Well, that'd be my analysis. But with that in mind, you still think this life form was capable of destroying the lab? <sighs> That's not impossible. The environmental impact might have taken some time to set in. I'd really like to get Dr. Moore's opinion on all of this. Well, he's much better. He should be up and around in the morning. Feel like getting a rack to Gino before we call it a night. My replicator or yours? I was thinking more of the promenade. I knew that. Well, thanks. Anyway, um, I've got a few things to wrap up around here. Sleep tight, Julian. Last person to know Wait. where Julian is after he creepily hits on her. Wait, go go back and, the monster. and put his, his thing that he says to himself after she's gone. Oh, uh, yeah. She enjoys it. She actually gets some kind of perverse pleasure out of it. And one of these days I'm going to stop chasing her. And then we'll see. <laughs> Fucking weird incel moment. <laughs> He's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> talking to himself about it. It's so strange. <laughs> That's what everyone's always talking about. Like, yeah, but he's not. But you're misreading him. But you're you're condemning him for stuff. I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like the show is saying something pretty consistent about him. He went off the wall. Thus far, gone. anyway. It appears as though our life form has survived and grown into something interesting. Did you notice anything when you entered the room, Doctor? Anything out of place? Anything unusual? Was it unusually warm, perhaps? Now that you come to mention it, it was a bit warm in here. I thought Another it was just my feelings distortion. for Dax. Did you try the lights, Doctor? No, I, I, I didn't want to disturb the patients. Commander, I suggest we check the RF energy flow to the infirmary. We might find a power interruption as we did in the lab. No blood or any fluid traces, but I am picking up a very slight trail of something we didn't see last time. An organic residue. Enough to test? We'll see. Cisco to ops. Go ahead. Restrict all non-essential personnel to their quarters and go to red alert, Major. Understood. Q, 
Keep in touch with Dax's progress. She may give us a way to track this thing. Until we can, I suggest we close down the promenade. I'll give the order, Constable. Constable? It's a nickname that I barely tolerate. It's an expression of affection that you find difficult to accept. <laughs> He's doing a good job of communicating you know. the, the, the weird fatherly vibes. Yes. Again, I'm still not clear. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening in this episode. <laughs> I don't know if it's in that scene or if it's in a later scene. The computer's having trouble breaking down the DNA. But then tree. there's like, it, it, the part of the reason it confused me is it feels like in, in one of these scenes, he's then, Dr. Mora's really becoming like someone who's like, you can't trust them and don't. It's like trying to almost like cut Odo off from everyone else, which... And then he, and then it's sort of like making him feel guilty for asserting his independence, which that swung more toward narcissistic, weird, manipulative parent, and like trying to keep this unhealthy codependent relationship going. And I thought that was like, even if it was in the context of him being a scientist, and he, which we've seen before with the guy who was trying to kind of get a hold of data, that it's like he's you know just trying to sort of manipulate him into coming back to the lab so he can do his weird experiments on him, which also seemed to fit with him saying that that was the most important, you know, the best, the most satisfying part of his career. But then they kind of depart from that too. So I don't know if it's just another red herring or unclear writing. Also like, there's no, like the, the, the science writer, I think, is still on vacation. <laughs> like, what is the what is the RF energy situation? What's that all about? It almost, I think that was... Like, is it triggered by that? Or is it like... It feels like it's saying that the creature, whatever it is, is sort of chasing it. It feeds on it somehow. So it's chasing that, but not Dr. Whatever his name is? Mora? Yeah. Yeah, that's... But then they isolate Dr. Mora and then it chases Dr. Mora? Or is it, yeah, is it just, is it that the thing has infected Odo and so Odo's become the quote monster and Odo is fixated on Dr. Mora and so the creature is fixated on Dr. Mora? That's a pretty succinct way to put it. Uh,. So that's my, I guess that would be it, right? I guess. What about this pillar? Did the computer have any success at decoding the encryptions? No luck there either. I'm glad we brought it. All things considered, the computer's <laughs> having a bad wake. We have such a limited database for the Gamma Quadrant. I have to close down the promenade. Call me when you have something. Wasn't that pillar over here before? It was in my way. I had it moved. It's more right. Have you compared this that is a real weird life forms? And then, and then what I thought was happening here was I thought he was like, he was like, oh, she's not a very good scientist right now. She doesn't see what I see, and I see that this 
she's lying. She's trying to lie about something. So then I thought he's running off to go tell Odo that it's Dax. Uh huh. But the red herring was too good. It wasn't Dax at all. So we brought back from the planet. Only enough to be sure that they're not the same. So instead, what they just do is they make Dax's character stupid. The actual character of Dax. Because she misses what? Because she doesn't understand what she's looking at. And this doctor's like, no, look at the nucleotide sequence. Oh, right. right. It might be interesting to see if there are any commonalities. So like, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, oh, okay, so this, this Dax imposter isn't as good at science as Dax is. Right. But it's not a Dax Let imposter. Let me run a cross-tabulation analysis. It should only take a few minutes. Do you know Odo well, Lieutenant? Not as well as I'd like to. He keeps to himself a lot. I'm not surprised. I never realized till I actually saw him. <laughs> How much I miss him. We didn't part on very good terms. So I've heard. He wanted to leave and we still had so much work left to do. But I see him now and I wonder if he wasn't right to go after all. He's come so far. He's an invaluable man around here. I never thought he could do it. Integrate successfully. If you could have seen him before, he was so ill-prepared to be on his own. I was sure he'd come back. I told him when he left, he'd come back. And all these years, I was so certain that eventually, one day, he'd show up at the lab. Well, I guess I'd better get used to the idea he's not going to. Very parental. Oh, here we are. But in kind of an understanding way. Yeah. And also, like, admitting, oh, I was way wrong. And that's the aspect where I was just like, well, I guess they're not saying that he's a, you know, a terrible monster. parent. Yeah, monster. Right. So then this is where... Although I guess they're still leaving the possibility for it. Like, so is this another misdirection? Which it isn't. But this is where the Deep Space Nine's uh, chief of science is not very good at science. Here we mm-hmm. go. Which one's this? That's a new one from the infirmary. And this is the life form from the planet. But remember, it went through several metamorphoses. It's not the same entity. The nucleotide sequences are entirely different. Some metachromic similarities. Yes, on a most basic level. At best, they could be distant cousins. The computer's broken down the DNA chain on the new sample. I can run an analysis and see if it matches up with any other life form in the computer. Uh, uh, how long would that take? Two, three hours, maybe. Let me know. Doesn't it feel like? Doesn't it seem like? Oh, he's onto her. He knows that she's not her. Yeah, like that's how he's playing it, right? It's it's like many of the little moments, like the ones where she said she moved the thing and everybody touching the thing. So I guess you're right. These are all supposed to be red herrings. And to me, I was just like, "What's going on?" I don't because they don't seem to lean hard enough. I mean, I guess if this creature is around, so it's like they're to them it's implicit of who's the creature. But to me, it would have been a much more interesting show if it was like these silicates from the planet took the place of one of these people, right? And I guess to them, which I guess they did, they took the place of Odo, right? But it's weird because they didn't take the place of Odo. They just mixed up with Odo. 
But it's also like, even if you go back to the booby trap idea of like, well, if this is like Raiders and then this booby trap went off because they tried to steal the thing. It's not a booby trap. Planet just got angry. Either way, whatever it happened, it's like, oh, it's reacting to it. Then it's like, well, is the planet, it made some of them sick and then it put its essence in Odo also at the same time. It's just like too many things it's trying to do at once. Plot wise, and I still don't understand what the what the what the creature's doing. Business, like why did it attack the doctor? Yeah, because the doctor is trying to help Doctor Mora. Maybe it's they're angry that it was futzing around with them, but it wasn't. He wasn't, was he? That was more no, O'Brien. Wasn't no, yeah. You can tell that just by observing me. The tone of my voice, my eyes, my body movement. Yes. You are truly a remarkable life form, Odo. But there is so much about you we still don't understand. What are you getting at, Doctor? The computer has broken down the DNA chain from the organic sample we found in the infirmary. Dax is running an analysis of it now. She'll identify it in a couple of hours, but I already know what it is. I've seen it before. The organic sample. It's from you, Odo. So he was lying to her, but just not for the reason you thought. Right. I guess it's to protect Odo? Sort of from a doctor turning, from getting hot dog fingers, which he does anyway. Well, I think it's, I think it's like at this point we're in kind of a doctor Fra- a Frankenstein sort of story, and he's like we're trying to before. protect his creature. Of course not. Are you certain? Yes, I'm certain. There would have been incidents, any unsolved crimes in the book. There are always unsolved crimes. So he's like now getting in his head going like, you could be doing this all the time and not even know it. Right. And then we're back feeling like he's manipulating. Yeah, right. Trying to get him into the lab again. Right. Which then would be kind of a cool plot if he somehow, independent of what happened on the planet, did something to Odo. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The gas... Maybe it was the gas on the planet. It affected all of you. It must have done something to me. A possibility. That has to be it. Certainly worthy of an investigation. Dr. Bashir. That has to be it. Like, the panic that has to be it is it. Right. And that's the that's the entire exploration of it we get. Right. And he's and a it's panic, presented here as though it's a... panicked, far-fetched explanation by a, by a suspect. Right. 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 It's, it's weird. Oh, so weird. Yeah. They'll do with you. No. They won't know what to do with you. They'll put you in a high security prison or quarantine you on a deserted asteroid and a gamma quadrant. Odo, they'll put you in a zoo. <sighs> so weird. I don't believe that. You don't know them. What other humanoid have you been able to trust except me? What makes you think I trust you? I resent that. I really do. After all the time I invested in you, after the education I gave you, the attention I gave you, you would not be here today if it weren't for my guidance. I gave you more than anyone else in my life. 
You were my life! And then you walked away. And now you don't trust me. Fine. Put yourself in their hands. You always had to learn your lesson the hard way, didn't you? <laughs> Such terrible parenting. I am not going back to the center with you. Why? We'll work through this together. We'll solve it together just like we used to. Hot dogs, hot dogs. Hot dogs. Hot dog hands. Hot dog it's, hands. It's answered in hot dogs. I got so excited about that I turned off the, the show. Play-Doh face. Hot dog hands. All right. So Luxana's dress to hold him. Yep. Then he starts to melt, uh, which is great. And then they figure out how to lure him. If it's Fiops. Go ahead. There's no one down here, Major. And there's no sign of Odo. No, sir. I can help you with that, Major. I've calmly walked away from my hot dog. The creature zone. you're after <laughs> is Odo. There must have been some sort of metamorphic reaction to the volcanic gas that we encountered on the planet. Is there any way to communicate with it? Seems I don't uh, know. kind of a, like a it's questionable conclusion. But that's definitely what happened, and we all agree, right? Okay, <laughs> now, what's, how do we get him back? <laughs> it's so weird. We're not sure which event he'll come through. Hopefully, it'll be the first one available to him over there. So now they're going to lure the creature out with the RF energy? Or are they... But then Moore is like, no, no, no. You need me. Right. Not RF energy. Right. So it's like, well, wait, what's the actual explanation here? It's very and then it turns into a big old clay monster, right? Yeah. And then he's like, oh man, I was a, I was a really overbearing parent. I get it now. We have a lot to talk about. What? <laughs> that's, that's your takeaway? Yeah. I'm not going to try and explain like what? what happened to you, Odo, because I haven't got the vaguest idea. And that's, that's the, that is it. That's the episode explanation. Yes. And that's the killer. Which is, again, they constantly have Bashir going, well, I don't really understand your physiology, Dax or Odo. To Mora's help, we've managed to eliminate all traces of the gas from your cellular structure. I prescribe rest, because it's hard for a doctor to go wrong with that one. So annoying. Otherwise, there's not much more I can do for you. Thank you, doctor. I tried to hide your clothes, but they're part of you. <laughs> And it's like, well, son, we got a lot of catch up on, huh? Yeah, dad. <laughs> the end. What? <laughs> what was that? I don't know. So none of, to your memory, none of the, the, the weird totem pole or whatever it is, none of those things add up later. Never, never comes up. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> There's so much time with people lovingly touching it, and what does it mean? And we beamed it up. And that was, you know, essentially the catalyst for the episode. We beamed this thing up. Part of the problem is all the red herrings that they're throwing out are more interesting than what the answer was. <laughs> and it is surprising that it's Odo, and so I think that's where they were pinning all of their hopes, story-wise. 
but it's not satisfying because you don't know why or what's going on or why it happened. Yeah, you're nailing it. That's exactly correct. Very strange. Nobody knows. And frankly, even the the stuff that they're really what the the episode the heart of the episode really is about Mora and Odo's relationship. But even that they get so mired if they are indeed doing a red herring of like Mora is evil and has been manipulating this whole thing or is capitalizing on this, even that they kind of bail on at the end. So then you're left with like I don't know, what is the takeaway even about Odo's experience from the lab? I feel like it was more clear before when the general sense was just that they all sort of victimized him and treated him like a like a thing. Now it's sort of even more vague because sometimes they treated they present more as someone who's legitimately proud and impressed by Odo I think that's the complicated relationship of parents and kids you know is that what it is is that what it's supposed to be it's really what it's pointing out at but the reality of it is I think it was just like they wanted to do a horror story and kind of like I guess that's what get it a little messy this is a general thing I'm going to say about DS9 and I think I've sort of been, it's been creeping up and I've been commenting on it in various ways up until now. I admire that DS9 is willing to, just by necessity, because it's not structured like any other Star Trek show of a ship flying through space and then we deal with the next thing that we come upon. They've had to reinvent their storytelling. And I really admire that. And I admire that they take some swings. And I admire that a lot of it's like, wait, what happened to the other plot? Oh, oh, is this the plot we're doing? Like, I, I'm interested in that they that they sometimes have these plots that seem to go nowhere and then they go on to some other plot. But it does raise the questions of like, is this effective storytelling? Because a lot of the times I'm just like, like in this episode, we're like, I don't know what you want us to take away from this. If you were going for a horror movie thing... It was legitimately scary at certain points, but it doesn't hang together as a full horror story, and it feels like it definitely could have. Right. So, I don't know. I'm left with a lot of mixed feelings. So, that's an interesting... Where are we going to... I guess we'll try to summarize here. Sure. Uh, First of all, let's do... The MVC. Where'd it go? Your favorite one. I know. I guess we've lost it forever. Oh, well. That's too bad, everyone. Sorry. That many who's the MVC. the MVC? Will it be Cisco, Dax, or Kieran and Reese? It can't be Worf until season four, but there's O'Brien, Bashir, and even Quark. And don't forget about Odo and more. is not MVC? Give me I mean, it's clearly Dax. She, uh, she saved that valuable artifact. Stole it from Belloc. Um... 
I don't know. Who does the... O'Brien? For what? Piecing together the RF energy thing? Yeah. I mean, I guess... Like, tracking it better than everybody else? I hate to give it to Bashir, but he, he, he removes... Photo from the whatever the thing with the is. Help of Doctor with the help Mara. of Doctor Mora, who's not a. Oh, oh wait, where can we kind of give it? We allow it to be someone who's not who's just on the ship, right? And Doctor Mora him? is the one who who identified. It's not Dax because she beamed that fucking pillar up, right? And she has seems to have no idea what's going on. Doctor Mora did figure out that it was Odo before Dax, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really help anything. Because Odo just gets hot dog hands and freaks out. Kira doesn't. She just sort of looks at something. Cisco for coming up with a plan. Does he come up with a plan that allows them to capture him? Capture him? Yeah. All right. Well, then I would say Cisco. Great. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> How many Andy's does this episode get? It's effective as. It's creepy. Like, the creature is creepy, even though it's bad CG. Um, I'm interested in exploring Odo's past, and I'm into that it's a scientist, and he has, and they do weird things. <laughs> like, it's just so uncomfortable, the weird parental thing. It just doesn't land anything it throws out, so it's hard to give it credit for any of those things. Right. Um, I give it a four and a half. I give it a three. Uh huh. And the three positive points are all because of the background information we get about Odo. Yeah. Everything else is stupid. <laughs> the catalyst for beaming the thing up, the beaming the thing up. I'm like, this is way breaking all protocols. This is ridiculous. Right. Steal this thing from the Gamma Quadrant, bring it to the fucking Alpha Quadrant, because the Cardassian computer is going to do a better job. Right. Maybe young Bullshit. Indiana Jones, right? Right. Yeah. Matt? Right. <laughs> um, the red herrings, once you've seen the episode, are stupid. Uh huh. And are just like I mean, I guess that's the point of red herring; they are pointless, but. Uh. And I don't know what happened. Right. And no one can explain it. Right. Even at the end, Bashir's like, well, I guess this happened, maybe. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't. So it gets a three for me. That's reasonable. All that adds up. Does it? Then already my review is better than the episode. It's definitely. Your, your review is everything much more added on up. point. Yeah. All right, everyone. So, tired of this episode Get god bless here. us everyone disengage <laughs>